Yo, welcome back to Nose on the Wall. I am Justin Reed. A little bit of housekeeping up top here. Um, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to a review from uh, BB Billy. Uh, this just touched my heart. I mean, this is why um, this is why I started this podcast. Uh, and I, I'll paraphrase it not to to stroke my whole ego here, but um, basically. Billy said, you know, in a time that it's easy to be disconnected from other people, um, the show helps feel connected. And I, I so, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate your, your kind words, uh, Billy. It, it is the reason that I started this, and it is the reason that I will continue to do it. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, folks, give us a follow on Instagram at Nose on the Wall. Send us any comments, suggestions, feedback um, at Nose on the Wall Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, this episode, I speak with my old, old friend, Raleigh, and he is a long winded fella, so I am just going to jump right into it. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, here's Raleigh. All righty. You hear me all right? Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. How you doing, bud? Oh, man, I'm happy to be here. You know, this is uh, something that you've talked about wanting to do for quite a long time now. And uh, I know we went back and forth about whether or not it would be a, a collaborative project or not. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, sometimes things happen and, and uh, life gets a little crazy. So uh, I'm just kind of happy to, to see that you're uh, out here and experimenting in this uh, in this podcasting space, because I think, uh, you know, you've got a real natural knack for it. So I'm excited to see uh, what comes of this. <laughs> I, I certainly appreciate that. Um, it's it's funny because I've been a, a podcast listener for God knows how long. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, my subscription list is upwards of probably 20 podcasts that I listen to regularly. Um, mm -hmm. So... I, uh, I, you know, know so much about the space as a consumer and I figured I, I can probably do this. Um, but as with any project, you know, the, the barrier to entry so high, um, and I just kind of had to just muscle down and do it. And I, cause if I didn't, I would always wonder what if, um, so, so far so good. You know, we've got three episodes live so far. You're episode four, um, and we're starting to get some some traction, which is really exciting. Um, so, if you're if you're ready, we can just hop right in to uh, to some questions. I hope you're feeling particularly reminiscent. <laughs> oh uh, well, I I think uh, you know me well enough to know that uh, I I tend to uh, to ramble and I tend to uh, talk a lot when you get me going. So I hope you're prepared. Well, <laughs> the beautiful thing about a long form podcast is that it is the it is designed to accommodate people like you and a show like this where <laughs> i just sit back and and let you talk is perfect for you um <laughs> well so, hey thanks for granting me the opportunity man and uh just before we jump in context for the listeners raleigh and i met when we were in middle school uh raleigh was a year ahead of me and um we just fate just kind of kept us together because uh, we went from the same middle school to the same high school both yep. ended up at Florida State in the same degree program. We ended up both changing our majors to the exact same thing from that first same degree program within like a semester of each other. Yep. Graduated together. <laughs> and um, from there, you know, I moved up to Cincinnati. So we parted ways briefly. Um, you were the best man at my wedding. Uh, and then we had a 10 day overlap on the West Coast 
when uh, Sarah and I moved uh, to Portland and you were moving from Portland. So we've yep. just uh, we've been <laughs> intermingled for, for quite some time. Um, I mean, you are my best friend. I hope it's the same from your end, but uh, definitely. <laughs> it, it absolutely <laughs> is, man. You know, it's, uh, it, it's yeah, our relationship, I, I guess, to, to put it mildly, has been quite serendipitous over the years, you know, because like you said, I mean, you are absolutely my, my oldest friend uh, that, you know, I, I keep in regular contact with still. And it's just, you know, life works in very mysterious ways, it seems like sometimes. And, you know, even though we had that, uh, that moment apart when you were in Cincinnati doing your thing and I uh, moved out to the West Coast of Portland to do my thing. And then, like you mentioned, we <laughs> had a little bit of overlap at the end there. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's crazy to know that uh, even at, at this, uh, you know, ripe old age of, of uh, 26 years old, 25 on your end, that we've known each other for uh, over half our lives already. It's just kind of weird when you put it in that perspective, you know. Especially when you think of a lot of, of like lifetime friendships that either... Uh, they either fizzle or they're still there, but not um, not so intimately. You know, I know a lot of people that say like, "Oh, this I met this friend when I was seven or you know what have you," but it's not um, you know the the effort to keep the friendship alive and thriving isn't necessarily yeah. there. And that's one thing I appreciate and I've always appreciated about you is that you make a conscious effort to keep all of your friendships uh, uh, alive and well. And, and keep everyone involved in your life, which, um, you know, you don't see too often. So it's very special. And I, I definitely appreciate you as a person as a, and as a friend. Um, well, hey, don't blow too much uh, smoke up the rear there, just up or just right out of the gate. But hey, I, I appreciate it, man, you know, and yeah. I think you you hit the hit the nail on the head right there. Um, just about reciprocity for me is really the biggest thing. And I guess for me, there was just kind of a moment in my life uh, a few years ago where I just kind of realized, I guess it was really kind of related to uh, an interest, you know, that I took up in minimalism. Um, you know, when uh, there was a semester in my undergrad at FSU where I just kind of decided on a whim that I wasn't going to use any uh, personal technology for a, for a whole month. I'm sure that uh, you recall that quite well because your memory yeah, is uh, sharper than mine. Yeah, the uh, the look around, not down challenge. Yeah, and you know, so of course I had to uh, have a little bit of branding behind it too to kind of I don't know make it seem a little bit more uh, official instead of so arbitrary. But one of the uh, my main project book that I read during that time when I wasn't uh, you know using my phone or the internet or a computer or anything and doing all of my school assignments by hand, uh, I read Thoreau's Walden. Um, and you know, uh, it was, uh, he's of course, well, I guess I don't need to go into exactly who Thoreau is, but, um, you know, the premise of the book is just about minimalism and existentialism and, you know, his motto throughout the entire book is simplify, simplify. And, uh, that just at that time of my life was very impactful and meaningful, uh, even <laughs> as simple as it is. Um, so I, I took that to heart and really just tried to apply that to, all of the different areas of my life. And one of them that uh, is not so obvious is, you know, just with friendships and relationships. It's obvious with stuff, you know, everyone's got a lot of stuff and would probably like to have less of it. But uh, as far as like friendships go, it's not to say that, you know, I decided to just cut a bunch of people out of my life and never speak to them again. But in terms of, you know, wanting to invest in quality friendships and, uh, you know, 
get some type of real meaning out of the people who are in my life. You know, I, I essentially kind of just, uh, you know, boiled it down to the bare essentials, really. And obviously, you were one of those that um, are in my uh, my innermost circle. And uh, yeah, so it, I've, I've been very fortunate to uh, to have you amongst all of my other uh, closest friends uh, there with me through, uh, you know, the last couple years in my life, especially when I've really needed it, you know, cause, uh, life is difficult for everyone right now, you know, with, uh, it being all pandemic-y outside, but, uh, especially lately, uh, you know, when I've needed it. So thank you too, for, uh, for everything that, uh, that you've done, uh, you know, just for me and with me. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm just freaking happy to be here, man. So, <laughs> and, and I'm just glad I made the cut. That's a, that's a very, uh, a very, a uh, high-ranking group of people um, so <laughs> to, be, to be involved. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll leave the the question, the line of questioning up to you. Do you want to start with the deep stuff or do you want to start a little lighter and ease into the deep stuff? Oh, you know me. I like to cut the crap and get to the chase. So if you want to, <laughs> if you just want to dive right in and, you know, get right down to brass tacks, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Sure. So uh, jumping right into to the deep stuff, how did your parents influence the goals that you have in life? Interesting. Um, wow. Well, it's that's that's an interesting one for me. Um, and you know, I know that you, of course, know uh, probably more than most people in my life about the history uh, of my my uh, my life and my relationship with my parents and. Uh, unfortunately, losing my dad at a young age at uh, 13 from alcoholism when I was um, in middle school. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, both of my parents, in their own words, uh, were sort of like the, the black sheep of their families, respectively, um, for varying reasons, whether it happened to be just, you know, uh, an eccentric personality or, uh, religious beliefs. Um, they, they always liked to be unabashedly themselves and to forge their own paths for themselves, uh, regardless of what anyone else really had to say about it. And, I think that that describes me pretty much to a T <laughs> because um, I don't know. There, there's just uh, something innate in, in me, I feel, that um, I guess you could sort of call it contrarianism if you want. But to me, I've, I've always just felt um, like I didn't want to be doing what everyone else is doing. Uh, regardless of whether that was an easy path or an easy decision, um, there's there's just something about my innate nature, I feel like, and not just for the sake of, uh, you know, going against the grain, but um, there's, there's something just, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but just uh, a, something something really inexplainable that I can't quite put into words about just having this strong urge and desire to want to direct my own life. And uh, so I think in that regard, uh, I've got both of my parents to thank for that. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, uh, our parents um, and, um, and everyone else, you know, in this age group, uh, you know, their parents grew up uh, kind of in that, uh, you know, in that hippie generation. And that was the first kind of real counterculture movement. So it's not an accident that both of uh, my parents were 
kind of, uh, you know, grew up in that, in that context, in that culture, and that influenced their lives. Um, and then, of course, you know, brought that uh, upon me just by the nature of being their child. But, um, you know, it's interesting because um, I think a lot of that hippie culture died out pretty quickly. You know, there was this, uh, you know, counterculture movement um, and anti-government and, and uh, you know, the, the just the blossoming of rock and roll in general, which was in and of itself a very contrarian kind of musical movement. Um, sure. But it, it kind of uh, faded away, I guess. And they sort of, uh, you know, gave up on, on the contrarianism and just kind of settled down into their, uh, you know, into their American dream cookie cutter lives and, and uh, just sort of became complacent. And not that there's anything wrong with that per se, but um, for me, I feel pretty dead set and pretty hell bent on wanting to uh, not succumb to that complacency that just when things get difficult, it's so easy to want to just settle down and do the easy thing and do what everyone else is doing. And, uh, you know, fill the, you know, fulfill the path that's already been laid out before you. But I don't know, man, there's there's something in me that that has this uh, strong desire to want to, uh, you know, forge my own path for myself. And uh, so in that way, I think that, um, you know, the, the influence of my parents uh, is, is inextricably tied to where I'm at now. And for context, um, I've been uh, pretty much my own boss for the last close to two calendar years now, uh, live streaming full time on Twitch, pretty much, and um, doing uh, live streaming and gaming. And um, I started it just as a, as a side project when I was uh, still hanging with you in Tallahassee and, uh, and working my day job. And eventually yeah, yeah, at a point, yeah, eventually at a point, it got to be where, uh, you know, this side gig started to earn me more money than my day job. And so I uh, gave up the day job and gave it all up and packed my car up and drove straight across the country from, uh, from Florida to Oregon, where I stayed for a while. And I think that that move just kind of describes me to a T. How do you feel about that? Well, I think you, you brought the word contrarian a lot. And I don't, I, I got to push back on that because I don't think that's quite it. Um, because I think really it's more in line with uh, when you're referring to forging your own path. And um, I don't think it's, it's so much contrarianism as much as it is a need for self-reliance. Um, yeah, and, sure. And yeah, I, I guess yeah, to, clar to clarify my point there, I guess I just wanted to say that I, th I think to me personally, sometimes I think that it might be perceived by others as contrarianism, just wanting to do things differently for the sake of it. Um, I don't think that personally, um, but I, I feel like there's a certain perception about just that kind of person or, or lifestyle, I guess. And it could be my, my own, uh, my own mirage, but I feel like, you know, just in general, it's, it's kind of the, the harder thing to do to, to really just truly listen to your, your truest innermost self and just unabashedly boldly follow that no matter uh, where it really kind of takes you. And um, yeah, so I, I don't really consider myself a contrarian, but I guess it, it just 
in my mind, the way that others or the way I feel others perceive me sometimes might be a little uh, contrarian. But anyway, go ahead. Um, yeah, I don't I think I think I would disagree with you there. I think at least, you know, from my perspective, I've seen you uh, build up this life and, and, and live this life for, for the past several years. And I, I don't think it's necessarily viewed upon in a he's doing this. I think just to back up here, I think contrarian kind of defaults to uh, meaning against what others expect you to do right mm -hmm. and i don't i don't think that that is why you do what you do and i don't think that is how it's perceived i think for me it's always been, oh raleigh's just doing his own thing and um whenever i've i've talked to our, our mutual friends or whoever i talk to about you um it's just oh how's how's raleigh doing doing his his uh his twitch stuff and, oh, he's just doing his own thing and he's making it work. And then that, that's been the extent of it. I don't think it's been, uh, at least from my angle, uh, perceived as um, going against the grain at all. Um, because I feel like that uh, perspective is more like I'm intentionally doing what others aren't. And I don't think that's why you're doing it. I think it's because you're just creating your own, your own, your own thing. Um, so I would I would be hesitant to uh, either buy into or um, continue thinking that you're you're being perceived in that way because I just don't think that's true. I think uh, I, along with the people that that know you well um, in our in our circle, are just oh he's just that's just Raleigh. He's just you know red is red and Raleigh is Raleigh. It's just, <laughs> it just is you know. Um, yeah, I mean, so rather than. Uh, it kind of seems like you're you're um you're framing it in that way because you maybe feel like it's wrong for some reason so you're trying to like prove that it's not and i just don't think that that's a, that's a necessary uh burden to take on um you're you're absolutely right on that angle and like i said it, it very much could just be a, a mirage of my own doing but i, yeah, I also think so. I also think that the the context of who you're speaking with matters as well, because I think that people in our age range, approximately, can probably understand that angle a bit better. Now, when I speak to family members, you know, from a, a different, uh, a, you know, a different uh, historical background and a, and a different upbringing and different values, right? Uh, that's where I struggle. You know, talking with some of my family members about what I do is tough sometimes because uh, it's it's so foreign and so incomprehensible to them sometimes that they they wonder why I choose to do this to myself instead of just make my life easy and just like get a job, you know, get a get a get a real regular job and just, you know, do what everyone else does and, you know, get that get that mortgage and that house and that wife and that 1.5 kids and just, you know, just do that <laughs> instead. And it's like, no, I don't want that, man. <laughs> and and so I guess, again, I think that people in 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 our age bracket um, could definitely empathize with it a bit more. So I guess to, yeah, to clarify that further. Yeah, I, th I think it might be an age discrepancy thing. And being back home in uh, Florida now, as you alluded to earlier, and I left the beautiful Northwest and I miss it so much. Um, and I miss we're you guys to too. Back here, yeah. We're, we're <laughs> well, itching to it, have you back. It'll, it'll. Uh, it's only a matter of time, in my view. But um, yeah. So just being back here, you know, is interesting because 
Um, it's nice to be back, you know, and be close to family and that kind of thing. But at the same time, I feel like I'm uh, having to actively um, fight against the the current of old patterns of behavior and thinking. And the interesting thing that I've kind of noticed is that my time in in Portland, just out there, essentially kind of winging it, just taking a leap and seeing what came out of it. Um, you know, I went through a lot of personal change, um, just learning a lot about myself and learning a lot about what I want out of my life and what I don't want out of my life. And, you know, for me, it was a very transformative time. Um, then, you know, fast forward two years and come back home, uh, where, you know, some of my family has just been kind of doing their same old thing for the last two years. And, you know, we'd talk on occasion over the phone or something, but I, I come back and again, this is, this is my perspective of what they're thinking, but I, I could further argue uh, why I think that is. But it seems like to me, I know how much I've changed, but I don't think others know how much I've changed. And so they're trying to fit the previous version of me uh, into the current mold. And, uh, it, it, I feel some, some dissonance there because I've changed fundamentally, I feel, um, just in, in what I value and how I spend my time and, uh, you know, just the, the way I try and take care of myself these days. Um, and so it's it's just, it's just, uh, there's a learning curve there. And so, yeah. Sure. You know, truth be told, I don't think it has anything to do with, with the, the path you've gone down. I just think that is the, the tale of the small town. You know, because we yeah. know so many people um, that we went to school with that that are still in the hometown, and not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but it your worldview doesn't expand mm-hmm. if you don't leave, um, and chances are all the family members that you're alluding to have been in that same town in Florida for thirty years, forty years. And that that that's their whole world is that little the little spot on the coast of Florida. Period. That little right? microcosm. So, yep. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. I just. I think. Uh, um. You know, give yourself a little more credit. I, I think if you go, how about you get a real job? Just go. Here's what I'm getting paid, and then that'll <laughs> shut them the hell up. Um, yeah. Because true. I can tell tell you that. Yeah, I could go get a a, a job at, you know, wherever. And uh, I'm either going to make less or the same as what I'm doing and I'm enjoying. So back off. Um, you know, you're a, you're a freelancer uh, just like that, which has existed forever. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. Well, how is it any different than someone who was a, a painter in the you know early 1900s or or a musician? You know, those early touring jazz musicians, all of them were looked at as crazy and then you know, we remember Miles Davis and we remember all these people, um, you know, if, uh, oh, oh God, what's his name? Elton John, right? He was like seen as an idiot for uh, for doing what he was doing. And then uh, when he said, hey, I can buy all these houses for you, then all of a sudden he was like accepted for the path he took. So it's all just do your thing, which is the point that you were making at the start of this. And we do have to kind of move on a little bit because we've been talking about this for 20 oh, of minutes course. now like um, I, like i said i'm i'm a i'm a long form master baby oh yeah. so you're gonna oh have yeah. to you're gonna have to you're gonna have to usher me along sometimes yeah, but I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll do i'll do my best 
Um, but yeah, no, I mean, just yeah, I, I think you gotta stop being so hard on yourself. You're doing your thing. You're doing just fine. So that's that. Um, so give yourself a little bit of credit. Um, but kind of uh, pivoting back to your your folks and um, you know, you, you your childhood was very uh, I want to say segmented because of when your when your dad passed. And I'm curious yeah. when you think back to it. Do you think of your childhood in like two eras, like the pre and post uh, losing your dad? Is that kind of? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, to me, it's an inevitability because that was the most life changing experience that I have ever had. Right. Um, And so, uh, yeah, it goes without saying that, you know, it was so impactful that um, you know, one of the things that, uh, I, I feel like personally I was, um, I don't want to say robbed because that sounds a little harsh, but you know, I, I feel like I had some of my childhood innocence kind of taken from me at a, at a time where I wasn't really ready to let go of it. Right. Um, and so I, I felt like I, I had to, uh, you know, I was forced to grow up a bit faster than I, uh, really would have otherwise. But, um, that's interesting as well because, um, you know, just, just as much, uh, as I, I thought I had really kind of grown up from that moment, I've only realized very recently in the last year or so, you know, that I've entered a new phase of life that I thought that I was kind of grown up at, at that young age of 13 years old and just having an experience in life that people aren't supposed to have at that age. And it, 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 you know, forced my hand and it forced my mother's hand as well, you know, having to raise me as a, as a divorced uh, previously divorced and then now really single mother. Um, and so that, uh, you know, that changed our dynamic as well. So yeah, there's a very clear kind of, uh, you know, childhood uh, chapter of, you know, before my dad passed away and after. Sure. And and one thing I wanted to do is, um, you know, take some time and let, let's look back on the, the, the time you did have with your dad. Um, what's the first memory that comes to mind in, in the first 13 years of your life? Wow. My first memory specifically with my dad. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, funny enough, it's really not a, not a good memory. It's not a bad memory, but my honest, my first memory right. is, um, after my parents had divorced, I was six years old. It was pretty much right around uh, the turn of the millennia there. So it was like January 2000. And uh, I'm not even six years old yet. And my parents had divorced and my dad moved out and um, and uh, got his own uh, studio apartment on a different side of town. Right. And prior to that moment, I uh, frankly didn't uh, have many memories of uh, of my dad. But uh, it was that first time that my mom took me, uh, I guess, really on a visitation to go and like see my father at his new place. And I just remember how scared I was initially, because I felt like I didn't even really know the guy, honestly. Um, That's that's interesting. Yeah, but uh, but, you know, to, to not not that it's it's not all doom and gloom. So. You know, I was just so incredibly nervous uh, right. to, 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 I guess, kind of meet my dad for the first time and like spend a real amount of time with him. And uh, it 
turns out that it was great and that I loved hanging out with him. And, uh, you know, so that was kind of my life growing up as a kid is, uh, you know, having to have visitation with my dad on every other weekend and like once during the week, maybe. But um, I absolutely loved it as a kid. Um, I mean, it was weird, of course, getting used to divorced parents and the the schedule and, uh, you know, that back and forth routine. But um, right. yeah, my dad, like I said, he was uh, just a free spirit, man. He loved sailing. Some of my first uh, kind of like really fond memories with my father are on a sailboat. Um, you know, he uh, I'm technically like the like the Jimmy Buffett song goes. I'm the son of a son of a sailor. Uh, my uh, my dad's dad was a sailor and he was a sailor and I'm something of a sailor. It's uh, it's been uh, something I haven't really kept up with over the years, though. I'd like to get back into it at some point. But um, sure. yeah, that uh, that really explains my love for just really the outdoors and, and being on the water. Um, that's why I, I can't really live in a landlocked state <laughs> because I've spent so much time just on the water, you know, on the sailboat with my dad and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, that informs a lot of my life decisions and, um, yeah, just being out on the, on the boat with him and just having a great time and, uh, you know, just hearing the, hearing the wind in the sails without the blare of the motor in the background, you know, it's like speedboats right. are great and, you know, they're, they're a, a different kind of activity, but just kind of the, the serenity of being on a sailboat like that, it, there's just something kind of indescribable if you've, um, never done it before. But, uh, yeah, yeah we were, so we were, we were a motorboat, uh, a speedboat family. Uh, my, mm-hmm. my, my, my dad never had a, his own, but my, uh, my great uncle Bernie, who unfortunately died a couple of years ago to cancer. Um, he was, he, whenever we were with him, he, we would take us out on the water. And I mean, I remember those being some of the best weekends ever. Um, he would go out to fish and I would just splash around cause I really, really can't stand fishing. Um, I, think I think it's so boring, but, um, not for me, but I like to go out with him and, and he would just do his thing and I would jump off the other side of the boat, um, and just, just have a grand old time. And my little brother, um, that was, I mean, that was his like bread and butter was spending time with uncle Bernie on, on the boat. You know, they, they this was after I went up to FSU. So let me think Evan would have been like 14, 13, 14, when I, when I first left and, um, yeah, no, his, uh, I'm curious. I'll have to ask him if, uh, if that my absence at all was felt and, and, you know, filling that time with, uh, going out on the water was, uh, uh, helpful in, 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 in filling that absence. Maybe that's presumptive of me and, uh, just to, <laughs> maybe that's stroking my ego just a little bit too much, but he's probably like good riddance. I just wanted to go out on a boat. God, um, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, one of the questions I like to ask on this is, uh, and I think I know the answer for you, but I'm, I'm, I want to ask it anyway. Uh, was uh, what was your favorite uh, smell growing up? And my guess for you would be like that that ocean air when you're out on out on the boat. Is uh, am I right to to assume that? It's it's really close. First of all, it's a really interesting question. I like that a lot, and I think it's just uh, fascinating the way the, uh, you know, the olfactory senses work and that they, they have such a strong correlation to memory. And you're definitely right. Again, that's one of the reasons that I just love living on, on the coast, um, is, is just that, that smell of the salty air. So that's definitely a top contender, but actually the first place that my mind really went to, um, 
and funny enough, it's actually got a name. So it's not, uh, it, it's common enough to, to have a name. So it's not very unique, but it brings back a very vivid image in my mind. Um, and it's really the smell of petrichor, which is just a fancy, you know, term for the, the smell that the soil emits uh, during uh, or just before a rainstorm or something. Um, oh, okay. And uh, the the memory that that brings back to me very fondly every time, no matter where I am, is uh, memories of sitting on my grandmother's front porch under her mm. tin roof um, and just uh, listening to the afternoon Florida thunderstorms, man. Yeah, that, um, that 2 p.m. Uh, when that rolls around. Yep, and- exactly. And uh, yeah, my grandmother raised me literally from day one when I came into this world. And unfortunately, I just lost her uh, last October as well. So um, we just had the one year anniversary of that. But um, yeah, just so many excellent memories of uh, just growing up as a kid uh, on that front porch and, you know, playing cards with my grandmother and my uncles and, uh, you know, just family dinners. You know, the, the kids table was always on the front porch. Because uh, my family's a big one, you know. My mom is one of nine, and I've got uh, about a dozen cousins. And so when we all when we all get under the same roof for uh, you know Thanksgiving or Christmas, it gets to be a bit of a zoo. And uh, so all the kids used to like to uh, escape to the front porch and and get away from all the adults and just uh, I don't know mm-hmm. do whatever us kids used to do on the front porch. But yeah, it's something that I actually uh, it's probably one of the best parts about. Uh, being home again in Florida is uh, those thunderstorms and that smell of petrichor. Every mm-hmm. time it hits me, man, I can just close my eyes and then perfectly envision my grandmother's house, like you know, step for step. I could I could lay the whole thing out for you. <laughs> on a isn't, it, isn't it funny how that happens? Yeah. Um, in in uh, the in the first episode, and and I'll be brief for those who've already heard the story. Um, I, I I mentioned one of the smells that comes to mind for me is Cuban grandma because <laughs> because as you know you know my dad's side of the family is Cuban and whenever we would go down to Miami to visit my my abuelita my great-grandmother um I I can so vividly think of that smell of that apartment because it just mm-hmm. it, it smelled just like I can only describe it as Cuban grandma um which is like <laughs> like regular old person but with like a little bit of a little bit of zest i guess i don't know but um when i think of that that smell i i can see the blueprint I and mean, it was a little one bedroom apartment yep. um but i can see the little kitchen she had this big like two foot by three foot portrait of my dad when he was like two um and like i can i can see like the floral print couch i can i can envision the whole the whole space and it's all prompted from from the smell, and it wasn't a great smell, admittedly, but it was <laughs> it was a uh, a distinct smell, we'll call it. Um, sure. <laughs> and then that just like you know floods the senses with with uh, just the rest of the narrative, and um, she ended up living with us. She's still alive, um, somehow, some way. I'm not sure if I told you that um, that she got COVID a couple months ago. Did she and, really? Oh yes. man! She was in a, a nursing home now down in Miami, and mm-hmm. uh, the nursing homes are just, just kind, of, just kind of a hot spot for it. Yeah. And um, so she, along with God, I think like forty other people. I mean, it's a pretty big nursing home. Um, all got COVID. So I figure she's eighty-eight years old now. Um, oh, that's scary. So I was like, I was like, she's done. Uh, she survived. And this woman, this woman has been. 
um, I mean, like basically on her deathbed for the last 15 years. And I, she's just like, Mm-mm, not doing it. <laughs> Can't take wow. me now. Can't take me ever. <clears throat> and yeah, well, even, that's some fortitude, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> so she kicked COVID. She has a little Spanish Bible and that she, that's the only book she reads. And, uh, uh, apparently she, uh, that, that's enough to keep her kicking. Um, in any case, she lived with us briefly. Goodness. I was probably, f- uh, from like through like freshman and sophomore year of high school. And, um, it, it started off great because she would like cook for us every day. And it was like, it was the, the Cuban cooking, like hit list, man. It was like, Picadillo, which is the uh, like the ground beef um, dish, pretty pretty uh, mm-hmm. uh, pretty mm-hmm. common. You know that over rice, or I mean, just all sorts of all sorts of you know, uh, just like I said, the greatest hits of the of the Cuban culinary menu. Uh, but then as <laughs> as the time with us uh, went on, you know, she was getting older. At this point, she was in her mid late seventies or so. Um, yeah, mid seventies, and um, her cooking started to go just the, uh, the one, the skill set and two, the um, like the attention during yeah, like, yeah. the cooking process. Um, so I remember there was one, one day she was making um, this, like these mashed sweet potatoes. And um, what she would normally do was she would uh, saute like onions and stuff and then mix it up in the mashed potatoes and, and garnish it with the, whatever spices. Um, she, forgot to she forgot to saute the onions so she made the she made this giant pot of of mashed sweet potatoes and then added raw just onion. raw onion oh raw. no <laughs> so we um so we like we take a bite and just the whole table's like what the fuck is this just nod and smile just nod and smile that's all <laughs> exactly you had no choice that's all you could do so we're just like mm-hmm, yum and then my sister god she was probably three or four at this time and she's just like ugh, you know being a toddler and she's like, it's gross i don't like it um, <laughs> so oh and- man yeah that's um yeah just speaking of you know your grandmother and cooking it's just that was one thing that i so sorely missed from my grandmother is that that woman lived in the kitchen man and i don't know if it was because you know she had nine kids and you know a dozen grandkids that really the the kitchen was kind of her safe space to get away from all of us <laughs> yeah, that's fair but uh but you know she uh she made the most killer banana bread that i've ever had in my life and um we've got uh my mom and i have her handwritten recipe i was about to ask at, if you uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we've been trying to make that recently together during these uh, COVID times just as a, as a nice uh, moment to reminisce on her. And uh, yeah. Oh, man. Just uh, that smell of that banana bread, too. Again, that's that's probably top three. So it's probably just like that smell of that uh, that petrichor earthy smell just before a rainstorm. Then right. the ocean, uh, you know, that salty air and then, uh, grandma's banana bread. <laughs> that's my, <laughs> that's my, that's my top three childhood and I guess still current, uh, current smells that just bring back the the best memories, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's nice. Um, you know, what's funny. I love banana bread too. And, um, Sarah does not at all. She can't stand what? it. Well, so Sarah is very particular when, when she has had something that 
has made her stomach upset, her uh-huh. body like physically refuses it. Um, <laughs> oh, interesting. So Man, I guess, banana bread is on that list, huh? That's unfortunate. Yeah, I'm sorry. yeah. I think I don't. I'm not sure if it was specifically banana bread. I'll have to ask her. Um, but she had a, she she had a run in with some uh, with some some banana bread, and it did not uh, did not go well for her, and her uh, her body just uh, has has permanently uh, <laughs> uh, banned it from her body. Um, oh man. And so that's, that's rough, dude. Yeah, but our compromise has been she makes a killer chocolate chip pumpkin bread. Oh my god. And uh so and during fall time we, we have to be careful because I'll eat it I'll, I'll I'll eat a whole loaf a day if you let me. Um so we have to limit it only to <laughs> specifically the fall months, otherwise I'll I'll I'd be five thousand pounds. Um, well, I was gonna say, what's what's the compromise? You know, it's fifty fifty. She cooks it and you eat it. Is that the compromise? <laughs> <laughs> um she gets a couple slices out of the loaf, but it, I, okay. I definitely, I definitely, uh, definitely run that, run that loaf. Uh, <laughs> <Shepherd> <laughs> had not too long ago the same thing with, um, oh goodness, the uh, tzatziki sauce with like, uh, with like Greek cooking. Oh yeah, made, oh yeah. Which I love it, man. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you remember at FSU all the days we would sneak away to Pizzeria, uh, Pizzeria. Uh, yeah, skip so, skip I mean, class and go to Pizzeria instead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so we tried to do some Greek cooking ourselves, and something like she got, a, I'm not sure if it was food poisoning or if like the chicken wasn't like quite cooked through or what, what have you, but her, her like nose associates feeling that sick with the sauce itself. So like, oh, that, man. that's now off the table, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is real sad. Dang. Yeah. She's, uh, she's got no tolerance for that kind of stuff, but Hey, I yeah. guess that means more for you. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, if it if it ever actually uh, ends up in our house, that's the that's the caveat. Oh, true. I have to that's I true. have to be given permission to eat it. Um, but um, one thing I wanted to, to moving on to the next one, um, just thinking about your your birthdays, because that's another one that that brings back some strong some strong memories for me. Um, mm-hmm. What was your favorite slash most memorable birthday? That's an interesting one. Um, I'm going to go with my gut and just the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. And it was probably the first birthday party I ever actually had, like with with like school friends. Okay. You know, because I think previously when I was a, you know, when you're real young, I don't know, I, I guess maybe you have your toddler friends around, but like, you know, not really. I, I don't have any recollection of that. But my first like, my first real birthday party that uh, I really... Uh, recall vividly i think i was probably i was either six or seven i think i might have been seven um and i had a harry potter bonanza at my house it was it was uh, a great time and on top of all of that uh my gift uh as a seven-year-old for my birthday was a trampoline um and i don't know there's just something like in retrospect thinking about seven-year-old children on a trampoline relatively unsupervised that just kind of sounds like a recipe for disaster but um (laughs) you you don't say huh (laughs) i mean i don't i don't know i mean i'm still here but i don't know maybe it describes why why i'm why i'm different because i landed on my head wrong too many times but (laughs) took a couple shots to the dome yeah yeah something like that but uh yeah getting you know getting double bounced on the trampoline and getting launched off of it and that kind of thing yeah yeah (laughs) right yeah there was there was a lot of that in my childhood but um yeah it's interesting 
Because as, as far as uh, birthday parties go, um, obviously, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of them. But um, for some reason, that one when I was uh, when I was seven years old, and that's really that's really like the, the highlights there, I guess, is just Harry Potter and trampoline. And I'm not really sure like how those two kind of fit together. But I loved it. I mean, seven year old me didn't really think too much about like the overall the overall uh, theme or anything or how any of this worked together. But right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that was that's pretty much it. Because yeah, I don't know. I, I've been kind of a weird one with birthdays, especially these days. I mean, you know, at this age, birthdays are just kind of a kind of a, another day, I suppose. But um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. I've I've a quick word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all things podcast production, from creating, editing, distributing, uh, monetizing your podcast. All of it is easily done from Anchor's comprehensive platform. Um, if you're thinking of creating a podcast, I'd highly recommend it. That's what Notes on the Wall is uh, produced and distributed by. For more information, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started. Now back to the show. Really, I think past my bar mitzvah, like birthdays just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, didn't didn't mean too much to me because when you're 13 and you have a, you know, three thousand dollar birthday party um that starts off with a four-hour orthodox juice <laughs> service um just kind of turns you off to the idea to the idea of birthday <laughs> does it really i don't know it sounds you know, I, sounds like an extravaganza to me yeah the party was awesome we had a we had a pudding bar um it was that was the talk of the town i mean people were dressing up their their pudding bowl they're like mine has so many sprinkles and people were going crazy uh but like i said when you have a when all of that is uh started by a four hour i'm not exaggerating a four hour service and the bar mitzvah was at what's called a chabad which is you could say like fundamentalist like jewish um mm-hmm. every every i is dotted and every t is crossed period um and we are not our family's not particularly religious i'm not i'm not religious at all these days um but that was the only synagogue we had uh access to at the time um so that's where i had to go and um it was so it was 4 hours completely in hebrew so it wasn't it wasn't a uh, it wasn't catering to the very catholic uh, Cuban side of my family whatsoever. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, those two things sound like they yeah. don't mix very well. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. And um, uh, yeah, so it was four hours long. And, and it's not just like a, a service in a different language. The, the whole point of the service is not to bar mitzvah this young man. It is for the men to pray, right? So um, they had, traditionally, they had um, like a screen to separate the men from the women and children. So the men would pray on one side of the screen while the women and children would be on the others. Uh, just, you know, moms taking care of the kids so that their husbands could pray. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, that did not go well uh, with my family. So ultimately what happened, cause the, the rabbi, you know, like I said, very traditional fundamental. Um, we ultimately compromised and rather than have a screen cut off the room, he uh, agreed to let us use plants, like big, big plants to separate. So still men on one side, 
women and kids on the <laughs> other. But we had these. He said, "Okay, plants will do." So my dad went and got like the leafiest, most uh, like uh, skinny trunk. Are, are plants have trunks or just trees? I don't know. Um, <laughs> whatever. Uh, beside the point, these um, these really skinny, tall plants, so you could basically just see through it. Um, mm-hmm. So we kind of gamed the system a little bit, but the the Hebrew at these services are lightning fast, right? Because it's not it's not supposed to be a show. It's for you are there to pray, and and whew, you're gonna do it. Um, so you know, my I had some friends there, and and all of these uh, these Cuban Catholics that didn't understand what was going on just sit there. I mean, for did four not, hours. not to interrupt. But did you understand what was going on no. at that young age? No, not a damn clue. So there, uh, the problem with like Hebrew school and like getting re- bar mitzvah prep is that they teach you to read Hebrew, and like I could probably piece it together. I'm real rusty. I haven't done it basically since the bar mitzvah, so it's been a while. Um, but they teach you to read Hebrew, but like comprehension is not on in the curriculum. Like, mm-hmm. I don't speak Hebrew, right? So I'm reading along, and I'm just saying, where I'm reading words that I don't know what they mean, right? You get a couple, you know, the 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 standards, the Baruch Adonai, like, blessed are you, Lord our God. Ah, uh, yes, the standard, of course, yes. The standard, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, opening lines to the, uh, mm-hmm. to the prayers. But I had no idea what was going on, and it's four hours of, of uh, me just waiting for my turn because I had to read my little portion of the Torah. And um, I, it was so long and the, I had one of the longest, it's called a Hof Torah with the portion that I had to do. Um, and um, it was so long. And in the like OG uh, Torah, they don't have vowels, right? So I don't know how familiar you are with, uh, with Hebrew, but You've got the symbols, which are the consonants, and then they're like dots and lines and things beneath them. That's the vowels, right? Okay. So, yeah, I, I have I have zero understanding of <laughs> of Hebrew other than what you've told me about uh, right, 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 about your experiences with it. So right. So there are no vowels in like old school script because you're just supposed to see like the f- like it would be basically like if we just take out all the vowels out of our names, but because we recognize those consonants together, like. I just know that R L G H is Raleigh. Like that's just okay, I just I just sure. know it, right? Um, and so I had no idea what the hell was going on because I didn't speak the language, uh, or I couldn't comprehend the language. So I needed the vowels to just pronunciate. Um, so the rabbi had to record my uh, my portion on like an old school tape recorder, and then I just kind of learned by rote. Right, so I would just listen to it over and over and over again, and then just like memorize the lyrics. Hmm. And then I would like take that, and then I would look at the script and be like, "Oh, that's where all of this kind of falls into place," because I kind of had the the outline, um, uh, or orally, because I had that all all uh, memorized uh, by listening to it, and then I applied it to what I was the letters I was seeing go by <laughs> as I was sure. Reading. Oh man, I don't know. Yeah, that that's that is very foreign to me, you know. And and even trying to kind of comprehend what that must be like to go through that kind of rite of passage as a child on your birthday. I mean, <laughs> do, have you had any birthdays since that? Uh, that um, like how how has that shaped 
your birthday experience just growing up in that traditional uh, Jewish environment? God, uh, let me think. After that one, I kind of, I intentionally kept my birthday small, right? Because mm-hmm. we had, off the top of my head, between 150 and 200 people there for my bar mitzvah. It was massive. Um, so never wanted to do anything even close to that scale ever again. So birthdays from then on, I would ask my mom, uh, I was like, I just want just immediate family you know, and grandparents just let's cook at home and just like have a nice dinner. Like that's, that's all I wanted. Um, the only time we broke from that was uh, high school graduation. So I went what four or five mm-hmm. years without like a birthday party um, by my own request. Um, and uh, the only reason that we had anything for graduation is because uh, my birthday was May 17th and graduation was May 18th. So my, Brian, my yep. folks just kind of combined it into one big soiree. Um, but yeah, and, and since then, like, I just, I'm not a birthday guy. I'm just not, um, you know, I'll, I mean, I like, I, I, I like getting presents and cards and uh, like anyone else would, but like, I don't, we don't need to make the day anything you know, special. Yeah. I'm with so. you there. I mean, yeah, I don't know. For me, I guess I'm, I'm too existential because to me, it's just, you know, a number of arbitrary revolutions around a, you know, a, a humdrum main <laughs> sequence, yellow dwarf star. And it's like, it's all made up and none of it matters anyway. So it's like, it's just another day to me. <laughs> but you know, again, that's, uh, that's just me being me. Uh, what a good way to, what a good way to look at it. I arrived here on the 93rd re- revolution around the dwarf star. So what of it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, like I said, that that's just, uh, that's just my perspective, but sure. I mean, uh, um, when did you start referring to Christmas as the annual gift exchange? When did that, when did uh, that, when did yes. Your, the uh... non-denominational annual gift exchange. Yes. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So again, you know, very heavily influenced by both of my parents. I mean, neither one of my parents uh, were, really religious, although my dad was raised Catholic and my mom was raised, um, I guess, Methodist, technically. Um, But uh, yeah, my dad, uh, that was really kind of the reason that he was the black sheep of the family was that he was really more of of an agnostic atheist than anything. And that didn't, uh, that didn't bode well. Um, So uh, yeah, the holidays to me never really had any particular kind of religious connotation growing up. Right. And uh, so I think I'd, I'd definitely have to attribute that to my dad while he was still around. So it's been quite a while. I don't know exactly when I decided to kind of facetiously call it the non-denominational <laughs> annual gift exchange. But, right. But um, definitely inspired by uh, by my dad, I, I guess. And, you know, again, my mom is uh, really, I guess, more more spiritual than anything, not really religious. And so, right. um, yeah, we just we just kind of agree that, uh, you know, and I, I think that you know, it's not a unique phenomenon that increasingly so these days, I think people are really kind of starting to to understand the the true importance of the holidays, which is just to kind of, you know, be with the ones you love and, you know, just like appreciate the and value the time that you're spending together rather than just, you know, my dad used to used to call holidays like Christmas and Valentine's Day and, and that kind of thing. He used to call them Walmart holidays. Um, sure. And I mean, <laughs> frankly, it, it's sort of uh, what they've all really kind of become now. You could obviously argue that uh, that maybe they didn't start that way, but you know, 
like one of the one of the the things that kills me these days about our modern culture is uh you know thanksgiving and then black friday literally happening on thanksgiving these days right it's just um kind of a a gross cultural point that we're at but i think that increasingly so especially in light of uh, covid and everything where people are really kind of starting to re-examine their lives from the ground up and under you know think about what's truly important sure um that's uh that's just kind of my angle on it you know in terms of just the holidays in general so it, it's been really a, a long-standing thing in in my family for a while and uh even just recently my mom and i kind of discussed uh upcoming you know for the these holidays this year that um there's probably not going to be any it's just going to be non-denominational uh annual no gift exchange <laughs> just uh <laughs> just just uh you know being there and perhaps perhaps maybe gifting experiences you know maybe doing something fun together but sure um you know just uh buying some shit on amazon and and uh you know writing a, a a default message on a gift receipt and calling it a day i'm that that to me doesn't doesn't do it so um Got but uh, yeah, there you go. the The history of the non denominational annual gift exchange. <laughs> the uh, the default message on a, a card reminds me of a an old, uh, I think it's a Jim Gaffigan joke, um, where he was just like, you go to pick out a Hallmark card, and it's just like, "Happy birthday!" Couldn't couldn't think of that yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, again, goes right in line with my my. Uh, line of reasoning at the very get-go about just wanting to kind of do my own thing and forge my own path. It's like, to me, I would rather uh, gift something to somebody that I made myself. Um, so there was one year, sure. not even that long ago, that, uh, you know, I was uh, broke as a joke and couldn't really afford to get uh, anybody anything meaningful. Uh, well, I say meaningful, but you know what I mean? Like any anything of, of real kind of substance or value in dollars. Um, so instead, uh, what of, I decided to of do capitalist value. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but uh, instead, what I decided to do was um, custom craft, you know, each member of my uh, family something uh, in origami. Mm -hmm. And uh, so to me, it was a very small thing. But I mean, I know that, you know, you and Sarah bring it up to me all the time that uh, you've still got uh, the origami dragon that I made you and your yeah. dash and your family's yep. got it on their mantle. And <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah, you know, we uh... that just kind of goes to show that uh you know sometimes it's the the little things that are the most meaningful yeah you know we've got the dragon we named him dargan the dragon and um <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's uh in the yeah up on the dash in our car has been for god it, you 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 made dargan when you visited us in cincinnati the first time yeah uh, so that was four years four years ago yeah because you yeah. visited us like the first weekend of november in 2016 yep. so yeah going on four years crazy and um it's been in it's been in the front of our car uh ever since and then yeah he's getting pretty tan up there in the, in yeah, the hanging out in the dash yeah he's he's uh showing some showing some some years on him um, yeah but then when you were <laughs> aren't we here, all <laughs> that's true um when you're up here for our wedding you folded a little mini dargan for um sarah's grandparents and who live up in Wisconsin and uh, they they drove him home and put him literally on yeah on their their big uh, they have a bay window in their house with all of the pictures of their kids and grandkids and family members who they love 
and amongst the family <laughs> members and their most cherished people in their lives, they have your little origami dragon. Um, and, well, I am flattered. And every every time we go to visit, I take a picture. He's still here. Yeah, I don't know. That's unbelievable, man. But yeah, so I don't know. I guess that's just kind of my philosophy in general on on holidays, especially these days. You know, again, just in, informed by my upbringing, really. That, um, yeah, you know, um, my mom and I have discussed it a lot because, um, well, really, this uh, this upcoming Christmas will be uh, kind of like the the first real one without uh, my my grandmother, you know, because she was kind of the, the glue that held us all together. Right. And, um, you know, so just um, taking the time and, and not having to stress too. obviously, you know, we're we're living in a time right now of just like, you know, high levels of uncertainty and financial volatility for everyone really and it's like you know what's the point of going through all of the stress and hassle to try and just you know buy something for somebody that you don't even know if they'll really like um that's got no real kind of intrinsic meaning or or worth it's just i don't know so yeah just uh yeah and enjoying each other while we're here you know and uh, that that to me is the real kind of uh, the real point of the holidays. And that's been instilled in me for a very long time. And uh, it's something that, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I guess it's uh, I don't know. It, it's just my M.O. What can what more can I say? Yeah. Really? You know, it's kind of funny because I, I think back to a, a holiday uh, in, in our in our house, because, uh, you know, as I've mentioned, my uh, my mom's side is Jewish. Dad's side is, is you know, Catholic. So, um, and my dad, uh, is not Jewish and didn't, didn't convert. Uh, but we, all three of us were, were raised Jewish. So around the holiday time, um, the compromise was my dad still got to get Christmas because he was in a lot of ways foregoing, you know, his, uh, his faith for, uh, to be passed on to us. So, sure. uh, around the holiday time we had, and, and Sarah makes fun of it all the time. We had a holiday station in our house. So we had a, a table, like a little fold out, like six foot card table. Yep. Right. And little, those plastic ones. And, um, on it, my dad on either side had these two light up. It was a, one was a Winnie the Pooh and a, a Tigger in like a little Santa hat. They were probably like three and a half feet tall, little plastic light up things. And, um, on the, on the station, that's where all the gifts went. And my mom, Hanukkah is eight days, so we got all the things that we like needed, the socks and the shirts and the, you know, the <laughs> the year to year like uh, wardrobe essentials. And then my dad got to come in with the killer gift uh, around Christmas time, and uh, <laughs> so it was it was a fun dynamic. That's a when good you're, compromise, yeah, yeah. And when you're like nine or ten, and people are like, you know, down in South Florida, they don't really know what Jews are. Um, <laughs> so I'll be like, I get nine Christmases. So what's up? And <laughs> oh man. Um, but I remember there's one year I must have been uh, 14, 15, and uh, we were not appreciating the uh, the necessities gifts for Hanukkah. And I remember my mom was like, "Well, then you don't get anything," and like took it all away, unpacked the the holiday station, like took it away. No holiday. If you're not going to appreciate the little <laughs> oh, things, man. you don't get the big things, um, which was devastating when you're, you know. Oh, like yeah. When you're 15, when you're that 11, yeah, four. In your formative years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
looking back on it, I kind of, I kind of get it. We were kind of being shitty, um, and she was, she was just over it. Um, so no, I think, I think, I, I definitely agree with, with you. What we've been doing the last little bit is um, when we can, we do our, our Christmas ski trip, which uh, hasn't been a tradition necessarily for Sarah and I, but kind of is becoming one, which I really like. Yeah. Um, because kind of your point on the experiences being better than something. Um, mm-hmm. Although Sarah would argue that she wants a camera really badly. But uh, <laughs> other if than If it that, brings you joy, according yeah, to Marie Kondo, it's fine. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, and, and her 15-year-old camera is in need of an upgrade. But mm-hmm. those, things, those things are pricey. But in any case, um, no. But yeah, the experiences are, um, are just so valuable. And that's what you remember. I mean none of the questions i've asked have have uh been answered by well i got this playstation and that was awesome right yeah right <laughs> yeah i mean you know it it, it might be a, a small piece of the puzzle retrospectively um and obviously as a kid it it's quite meaningful but um yeah i don't know just the the older i get i don't know i start to kind of uh my my age i feel like is just showing my my uh i don't know kind of old soul i don't know what to call it that doesn't really feel right but you know what i mean just yeah um i don't know thinking about uh you know things like that because you know i have fond memories of um you know just uh getting a playstation for for christmas and and playing with my brothers you know all day and all night you know in the living room at our dad's house and um, and, you know, especially when I was, uh, kind of still in the middle school age, you know, and I picked up RuneScape for the first time, man, uh, you know, those yeah. were very, uh, those were very impactful moments and spoiler alert, I, uh, you know, half my life later, I'm still playing, but, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not to say that those things uh, don't play a part, but I think it's, um, it's a, a big misstep to, to think that they're the whole picture because but... yeah, they're really just kind of a small. Yeah. But I'm going to, to push back just a little bit because you said the PlayStation, was great but what made your voice like light up was talking about playing it with your brothers and with my brothers yeah like that that that's the point that's the it right it was the means yeah it was the yeah it was it was just the medium through which we had the experience right so yeah that's right that's very true so um well i we gotta start wrapping up so i've got uh one more one more uh question for you and then we'll we'll only take 15 minutes on this one yeah no you've got you know (laughs) I, I allotted 90 minutes for us to chat. So that's why I'm giving you the last question an hour and five minutes in. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Perfect. So one, one thing I left out on our, uh, our little bio at the top of this is that we, in addition to going to the same middle school, high school, college, and, and, you know, sharing that path. Another thing that we did together was we both had our very first job at the AMC movie theaters off of, oh baby <laughs> off of, uh, of orange grove boulevard and yep. um i i look back on those days very fondly because of all the ridiculous stories that come out of it so i want to know what your like your favorite movie theater memory was <laughs> my well favorite how do i define that because i certainly have a lot of stories i could talk about about that place and uh yeah i you know it, it's a uh, i think for both of us yeah, it was our first away. job it will, yep. Yep. Yeah. So again, yeah, just one of the many facets of our, our lives together that have overlapped. But um, gosh, yeah, for me, I don't think that you'll, I'm sure you know the story, but I don't think that you were there that day. So 
the way it goes in uh, in the movie theater industry, or at least the way it used to before a lot of the jobs started, uh, you know, getting automated away, um, which is weird to say, because that was only, you know, like, what, not even 10 years ago, um, yeah. I guess about 10 years ago. But uh, the way it works in the movie theater industry, or at least the way it worked for, for us was that you start kind of at the, you know, bottom of the totem pole working, uh, you know, as uh, as an usher, which is basically like tearing tickets you know, directing people to a theater and, you know, like cleaning up after, you know, the shows are over and, you know, doing the bathrooms and all of that kind of like janitorial work, essentially. Um, and that's kind of like, you know, the, the the low barrier to entry. And then you move on up to like working in the concession stand and that kind of thing. And then eventually you can uh, you can move on up to the box office. And uh, the fish tank was my favorite place to work, just, I guess, because <laughs> it was the most peaceful, not oh, really yeah. having to uh, to interact so directly with uh, with people. And I will never forget this story for the rest of my life, because I honestly just could not believe it. And I still can't. It's been 10 years, and I still can't believe that this even happened. Okay. Um, it was a Sunday morning at nine o'clock, mm-hmm. and I was opening in the box office, and I had just rolled out of bed, you know, 15 minutes ago and, and you know, sped to work. And um, Sundays were notoriously, especially at our theater, um, uh, because we had, uh, you know, a matinee, you know, $5 movie price before, I don't know, noon or something. Um, so you got the big kind of uh, family and like after church crowd. So Sunday morning at the movie theater was always a very pop in time. And um, I was opening in the box office that morning by myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I uh, show up to work, you know, I'm there five minutes till I'm supposed to be there. And um, as I'm walking up to the theater, um, there's already a line of people standing waiting, you know, for the for the box office to open to buy their tickets. There's probably maybe, I don't know, two dozen people or something, which is quite a right, bit you right. know, for 9am on a Sunday. Um, as I'm uh, walking up to the theater, there's another uh, couple of people who are walking up sort of alongside me. Um, and it's kind of like an older woman. And uh, I would imagine probably her son or maybe I don't know, nephew or something, but you know, kind of my age, you know, like late teens or late 20s, maybe. And uh, he clearly had a disability because, you know, she was uh, kind of walking with him like in kind of one arm. And um, I think he might have even had um, like a, a crutch or something that he was using. I'm not exactly sure what what uh, kind of disability. I don't want to assume that kind of thing. But, um, you know, there, there was there, clearly there was some kind of physical something. disability that right. was going on. And so she was kind of, you know, at least the caretaker from what I could assume. So we kind of walk up together to the to the box office and. Um, they stand off to one side so they can get a closer look at the, the show times and everything to see what they want to do. So they're off to the side from this big, long line. Um, so I go into the theater and uh, I clock in, you know, the theater's empty. It's just a couple employees and the general manager. And, uh, I go down to the box office and, and open up when it's uh, nine o'clock and, um, you know, they, they assign you a station. You don't just like pick any register. You go to the one that they, they assign to you. And the one that was assigned to me just so happened to be in front of this this woman and her son or whoever was with her. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You, you can maybe see where this is going. Um, and so, just because of the nature of where they were standing, when I when I decided to open up and you know remove my block from the window, uh, they just decided because they were there, they would just go ahead and and start uh, you know telling me what uh, show they wanted to see. Right. Well, the the old man who was standing at the front of the long line uh, was not taking that very well. 
And again, keep in mind, these these folks probably just came from church. You know, it's nine o'clock on a Sunday. I just woke up 15 minutes ago. I'm not ready to to work or especially deal with what's about to happen. Anyway, right. This old man who's, you know, gray haired and, uh, you know, and, and wrinkles and he's got to be in his 70s at least takes this young man again, who's got some type of uh, of visible disability Right. And puts him in a headlock and takes him to the ground. <laughs> takes him to the ground, and they're wrestling. And and the the kid's mom is screaming. Oh the old man's wife is screaming. Everyone else is just looking at me, like, "What do I do? I'm trapped in the fish tank. You know, I can't do anything other than run out of the office and around outside." But um, yeah. Luckily, uh, the general manager was, I guess, watching on the on the cameras. Like I, I started working my job for literally two seconds, oh my and God. and then this old man just puts this kid in a headlock and literally takes him to the ground. And so they had to call the cops and they had to file no. a report. And somehow both of them still managed to go into the theater to like see a movie. I couldn't believe it. But was um, it the same movie? Did they go to the same theater? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure. I I hope not. But I, I, I just, I, I still to this day can't rationalize that because it's like, how, how unconscious of a person do you have to be to think that that is okay? You know, I just, oh man, it was, it was a, it was a sad uh, scenario to watch happening in real time. But I guess I can, I can look back on it fondly and just kind of laugh at about just how how trivial that all was and just oh man it's it's kind of sad but um yeah i don't know man it was just like who who takes somebody to the ground over a a movie ticket man well actually that just prompted a memory of mine when i was working in the box office um we uh i was opening uh i wasn't by myself i don't remember who it was with um regardless i was opening and um, the line was forming. It may have been a Saturday or Sunday. And um, we had, uh, there were two people opening. So there are two windows like about to be um, open to start taken from the line. And kind of similar to um, to your story, the I was off to one side where the line wasn't forming. So right. we had um the one one old guy, he's probably upwards of eighty, was standing where he thought the line was going to start, right at the window where it was supposed mm-hmm. to uh, when when we opened. The guy behind him, who was also older, probably uh, up mid seventies, maybe uh, approaching eighty, um, saw that first guy was standing at uh, the one window. Saw that there were two of us, so he went to the other window over to me. Right, mm-hmm. first guy similar to your story was not happy about that walks walks over to second guy goes hey fuckhead and then pushes him to the ground yikes wow is this the same guy i don't know <laughs> it may have been maybe we had a repeat offender um wow. and i mean me and the the girl opening we were just standing there in complete disbelief like what is going on right now <laughs> just mm-hmm. old 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 white men yeah you can't trust them, but we keep electing them president. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, not to digress. But <laughs> um, and then, oh man, another another story that that I look back on very fondly. It was when uh, Harry Potter. Uh, I was just about to ask you about yep, this. Yep. Yeah, Harry Potter Seven Part Two was coming out, and remember we were doing the double feature 
So part yep. one was at like 9 p.m. And then we do the midnight release. And they were back to back. Right. Yeah, yeah. So um, we so I mean, the theater it was in our biggest theater and it was packed. I mean, it was probably like 350 people in there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, you know, limited ticket event and that whole thing. And um, we were having issues with the film for part one. And they send in Justin, who started at AMC one week before this incident. <laughs> I remember this. Yeah. yeah. They send in this 16-year-old kid to tell a room of rabid Harry Potter fans that their double feature is not working. <laughs> so I very, oh, I, yeah, I very, very meekly go into the theater like can i have your attention please you know i get everyone to shut up and i go we're having some technical difficulties and i start getting booed and screamed at by (laughs) a room of strangers in harry potter robes and wands and this one guy the older guy it seems that old men are really the source of most of my uh my movie theater problems um (laughs) he just goes in really gruff voice he goes well, take out your wand and fix it. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm in this theater. And I'm like, and I'm announcing to the crowd. And I was like, unfortunately, sir, I am not a wizard, um, so I do not have the capability to simply fix the film. But we are working on it as quickly as we can, and we will get this up and running as soon. Whatever my 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 phrasing was, but I'm just getting berated by these people t- to use my wizard powers in in the movie theater. I was like, if Man, I was a wizard, I would be not working. Sign up for that. Yeah, and if, if I had magical powers, I would not be working at a fucking AMC. Come on, uh, <laughs> give me yeah, a break. No joke. Yeah, yeah. You're the you're the PR man. It's 16 years old, working there for a week. Yeah, give me a break. Um, oh man. And um, another moment that I think of very very fondly. I was in the the lobby. I was tearing tickets, and um, this couple came up to me, and I am not one to judge how people look but also i am and so this couple (laughs) this couple comes up to me and uh oh probably early 60s and um the the wife the the female figure of the couple um has a very very long denim dress and uh was it flattering you ask no it was not (laughs) and she had and listen very carefully to me now. A fully kept, maintained handlebar mustache. Nice. I mean, it like it was combed. Strong and wrong. It was. It was. I. It was a decision. And they walked up to me. They asked if they could eat their leftovers from Applebee's in the theater, and <laughs> which I you cannot. And it took everything in my power to not either faint or bust out laughing. I couldn't tell which one was going to happen. But they came up to me, they hand me the tickets, and they go, we're here to see Tower Heist. If you remember that one with Ben Stiller and Eddie Murphy. 2011 wasn't a great film. But anyway. Yeah, um, not, not their best work. <laughs> and We're here to see Tower Heist. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> I like, I ripped their tickets, and I can't even say like theater four on your left. I just kind of like raise my arm up and go kind of like motion them down the hall. And as soon as they walk away, I had to leave the ticketing station um, to cackle down the hallway 
and I asked the manager, mm-hmm. I think his name was Sean. I was like, you need to take over for me for about 15 seconds. And then I just lost my goddamn mind. Um, it was so, it, it, it was so jarring is what it, unexpected. And she came in with that's a, so much. That's a good word for that whole job experience was just oh, yeah. jarring. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it's all the little things, people yelling at you. Uh, about how much popcorn is i'm like i'm not making you buy it man like you came to me yeah. and asked for it <laughs> and um i remember one guy he's like this is outrageous i shouldn't spend 11 dollars for soda and a popcorn or whatever the price was and i was particularly over it that day and um and i shouldn't have done this because it wasn't very customer service friendly but i i i, I was like you know I came in today and I was like, how much should a medium popcorn cost? I think $7. So I set that price. So like, are you going to pay it or not? And he, he needed his Mr. Pib too badly. So he just put his head down and paid it. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. That's just uh, it's <clears throat> that baby boomer mentality. I don't know, just griping about everything and then uh, doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, since that day, I have never stood up for myself because it didn't feel good. <laughs> so I just let people walk all over me and pour soup in my lap. Wow. It's a truly transformative moment. I guess so. I don't know if it transformed the right direction, but here we are. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Any, good old AMC. Man. Anything else come I... to mind before we... Uh... We get oh yeah, I mean, I, literally, I, I could sit here and talk for an hour about <laughs> various AMC stories. <clears throat> so you you talked about Harry Potter when you first started working yeah, there yeah. Um, for about a week. So if my memory serves me correctly, I started working at AMC. I don't know a couple like months April, before you did. I think it was. It was yeah, around, yeah, around your birthday. Why I remember around that, my I birthday. Don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you've got a you've got a weird memory for things like that. But anyway, <laughs> <clears throat> um, this was. Um, yeah, just a couple weeks after I had started, and uh, the blockbuster film of that early summer was Fast Five. Yeah, and um, the uh, general manager uh, booked our four largest theaters for the uh, the third. I think it was a Thursday premiere, and everyone thought that he was crazy because they weren't like uh, you know the, the ticket pre sales weren't going very well and. Uh, they thought that it was going to be a flop because, I mean, you know, it, it's the the fifth movie in a failing franchise. Um, but anyway, um, hot take from Raleigh. <laughs> yeah, 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 hot take. You can you can quote me on that. But anyway, um, uh, yeah. So uh, I'm working. It's a it's a Thursday night, and for some odd reason, that's when movies started to regularly premiere back then uh, instead of Fridays. But, uh, so it was Thursday evening and they were doing kind of like an early premiere and, uh, you know, so it's a weekday. And so we're staffed like it's a weekday, you know, so it's not a weekend. And so it's like, I'm the only one pretty much ushering in the whole building. Right. And, um, so I think the premiere was supposed to be at like 7 PM and, you know, it's six 30 and we literally like haven't sold any tickets yet. And then, you know, it's, it's six 40, six 45. And there's like a couple people in there, but you know, we've got our biggest theaters blocked off for this, you know, like three, 400 people per theater. And, um, just, uh, you know, it looked like it was going to be a major flop. And then 10 or 15 minutes prior to the start of the show, you could just hear it happening. You could hear all of the ricers out in the parking lot, all of the Honda civics and everything, (laughs) just, just showing up. 
you know, and all of the old Mustangs with a spoiler that's way too big for the car and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and they just came in in droves like you would not believe. And just like that, we booked like three theaters right out of the gate in a span of maybe 30 minutes. Oh, my God. And the worst part about all of it. So they came in and, you know, it was, it was a madhouse for a minute. But obviously, then the movie started and it quieted down again. Well, they had a back-to-back showing in all of these theaters, um, and the showtimes were staggered by maybe 10 or 15 minutes. So right. um, they they had it set up to where Fast Five would end in a particular theater, and then by the time the end credits finished rolling, the next movie was starting with the, with its uh, you know with the previews. And uh, again, I was the only, maybe one of maybe oh two God. ushers in the entire yeah, building. Yeah. Um, and so I had to not only tear all the tickets, but I had to, uh, deal with the cleanup afterwards. And Justin, I tell you, man, it was a traumatic experience. Like I have never seen (laughs) so much shit everywhere in a movie theater in my life. Like I can't even, I can't even make this up. There were popcorn bags stapled to the wall. What? Um, and there was, there was soda thrown at the screen at the front Oh and God. just to trash everywhere. I mean, not just the people, but like the stuff too. And <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it it was literally like four garbage, like four fifty-five gallon drums worth of trash per theater. Oh my God! And um, and we were way understaffed, and so we have a total of maybe you know ten minutes between when the when the people you know meander out of the theater to when the next one is starting. Um. And so people are starting to accrue, you know, in uh, in the hallways and everything, waiting to enter the theater after it's cleaned. Um, and I'm just like packing these trash bags as fast as I possibly can. And uh, and then having to run out the back door to the theater to like take all of the rolling trash bins down to our, uh, you know, trash compactor out back. And I was just like slinging these huge trash bags as fast as I could to run back in and, and continue sweeping up. And that's when it happened. Uh, one of those trash bags was so goddamn heavy. It just ripped right open and just soda and, and popcorn and everything just all over me, dude, (laughs) all over my pants and my shoes and my body. And I was just like, Oh no, dude, (laughs) like I'm going to, I am going to have a quarter life crisis right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's I, the day yeah. I quit. No, <laughs> no. And somehow I, I managed to work there for a full year after that. But oh, man, oh that God. job, like what a clusterfuck, dude. It was um, it was something else. And that's uh, when I learned that I uh, <laughs> if it's possible, I never want to work in retail again. So I think this is just was, a perfect uh, way, a uh, perfect way to come full circle. That is the moment you realize I really got to work for myself. Which is, what we, right. which is what we started off with. So that is um, exactly how it started. That is a, a beautiful, a beautiful landing uh, point to uh, to end off on here. Um, God, it was it, this has been a fun a fun ninety minutes with you, buddy. Hey, as always, man. And uh, the only different thing about this is that other people get to hear it now too. So yeah, not, <laughs> I appreciate you crazy, uh, in- the crazy ramblings of the two of us. Right, exactly. Yeah, now uh, now it's actually turning into something. So yeah, yeah this has been awesome, man. So yeah. I uh, really appreciate the invite and 
Uh, I'm really excited to see where this goes, and I will. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take it upon myself to invite myself back for another part uh, two down the line at some point when you'll have me. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll definitely do that. I mean, we could have a seven part series and still have stuff to talk about. Um, oh, for sure. So absolutely. Um, no, but I I appreciate you doing this. Uh, you know, folks, um, if you liked what you heard, you know, give us a uh, a like and a subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, follow us on Nose on the Wall on Instagram. Let me know what you think at Nose on the Wall Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, with that, uh, thank you, sir. Love you, buddy. Love you too, man. Bye. Bye.